me personally, like I know for a fact that there's not a lot of support groups for people, especially um, women who are grieving from divorce. And especially because a lot of them are super messy. It, it's definitely it's like, OK, you're you feel like you, you're losing something, especially if the, the man or woman cheated. You know, it's that type of betrayal and distrust that's going on. And then like breaking apart from someone that you've been with for almost a decade, you know, that's going on. And then you're going through all types of self-esteem issues because now you're thinking about, OK, what do I not have that the other girl has? And what could I have done differently to save this? And then just the separation part where financially you have to now, you know, deal with bills 100%, you know, instead of like the half-half or whatever the, the financial situation was going on. Insurance and all that stuff is like, it's a lot of stuff. And people don't really look into that. They don't talk about that, the, the details and the after effects of the divorce process, especially for like, for, for younger people. That was Leah Vernon, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 120. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Can I take a quick minute to say some mushy thank you stuff? Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for valuing honest conversations. Thank you for being open to hearing from guests whose life experiences and opinions might be different from your own. And thanks for the more tangible stuff as well, for taking two minutes to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Seriously, it's such a huge help in spreading the word and helping new people to find us. So thank you so much for taking a second and doing that. And thank you, of course, for supporting and funding the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, which means that we have complete freedom to come together with more honesty than ever before. I have such a wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but first, in case you're new to this show, I want to just take a second to explain what we do here. At the heart of it, my guests and I are really committed to one simple and powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic bullet 10-day six-step life hack plans for anything. So if that's what you're looking for, sorry, I don't have all of the capital A answers. Um, As a recovering self-help junkie, I'm actually pretty over that approach. And my guess is that maybe you are too and that that's why you're here. So yeah, that's not what this show is about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener-funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. The show is and will always be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight-episode season. You've probably heard me say this before, but I seriously do believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, 
the vast majority of whom are women. So when you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. And you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for new Real Talk Live events. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Leah Vernon. Leah is a plus size model, author, body positive activist, and Muslim feminist. While attending her master's program, she started to blog because she had gone through several eating disorders and was tired of sucking in her stomach while in public. She set out to make all-bodied women feel worthy despite their culture or size, and she began being more candid about her struggles as a fat, black Muslim growing up in the city of Detroit. A few media outlets started digging her raw writing style, and now she writes for MuslimGirl.com as well as several other popular girl power websites, and she has a memoir that's currently being shopped around for publication. In this episode, Leah talks about her life as a model and writer and about her mission to do the best she can to show beauty where the media tries to hide it. She tells incredibly honest stories about body image, mental illness, divorce at age 29, dating after divorce, the financial myths of being an online influencer, and so much more. I could listen to Leah tell stories all day long, and I'm super grateful for her openness in this conversation. I have no doubt that it'll leave you feeling much less alone, which is absolutely how I felt when we were done talking. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. Okay, Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. What are you super into? Well, right now, um, I am kind of into um, different types of like fashions, kind of like the crazy fashions that are kind of like, um, like kind of vintage, yeah, like red carpet inspired, um, but you can still take it to like the street style. So um, anything that's like super sparkly, sparkly or like with se- anything with sequins in it or like feathers or like fur. I'm kind of into that t- that whole style, kind of taking it like from the red carpet to like the street. Um, with my style, I love to like experiment and I just want everything to be metallic and shiny. <laughs> so I'm pretty obsessed with that at this moment. You have incredible style. <laughs> like one of the things that drew me to you. It's funny how sometimes you are, uh, you find yourself gravitating towards people who have a quality that you don't have. Like that's not me at all. I like work mm-hmm. from home alone in my pajamas, like all the time. So when I see people that I'm just like, oh my God, how do you do that? Have you always been interested in fashion? Uh, yeah, I've always been interested in fashion um, since I was a very small girl. My aunts used to always tell me stories about uh, like how I would fight them if uh, like I didn't really want to wear something or I really wanted to wear something. Um, there's one story about me in these like gladi- leather gladiator sandals um, <laughs> that I made my mom purchase. And um, I didn't want to wear any other sandals like but these like white 
patent leather gladiator sander, uh, sandals. And it was just really funny because like it'd be a constant, it'd be cold outside. And they'd be like, okay, you have to put like regular, you know, like enclosed shoes on. I'm just like, no, I want to wear these sandals. Like I was just like, so I guess like adamant about like what I wore. Um, and then it started to take kind of like a weird turn because um, I'm, I'm Muslim. So um, for Muslims that like cover or like practice modesty, um, you notice that your options of style and fashions, um, they kind of like, it's not that many options out there for like, you know, a Muslim woman that covers her body. Um, so I was totally in the fashion, but I didn't have either the money um, or the resources to get clothes that were still fashionable, yet were still in line with my spirituality. So um, growing up, it was a little difficult. Um, also, I was a, you know, a little fat girl. So then that just like took all of the, um, the options away. There were, you know, there, I, I didn't have any options in, in that sense. Um, so which a lot of identity issues started to happen um, because I wanted to be normal after that. I was like, well, I just want to be a normal person because obviously like as a fat black Muslim girl from Detroit, like, you know, there's nowhere I, I, I don't fit in. I can't express myself through fashion. Like, you know, just want to be normal. Um, just, just recently have I started like uh, with the blogging, have I started to kind of embrace that part of my, you know, religion that I'm able to kind of mesh my two loves of spirituality and also fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love whenever I see people um, doing something that maybe is usually considered like an either or and doing like a both and like you said that it was either fashion or, you know, your spirituality and being able to find a way. It's like, no, no, it doesn't have to be either or it can be both and and let me show you how I do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So I wanted to talk um, first about the dance video that you made last year. For anyone who hasn't seen it, can you share what it is and why you created it? And I will definitely put a link in the show notes because it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I've always loved dancing. Um, again, dancing is like something that some people don't really necessarily equate to being um, a Muslim woman or even like a, uh, a religious uh, Jewish woman or religious Christian woman. Like when you think about religion and women, you don't think about dancing, right? <laughs> you, you think about like, oh, they're submissive or you think about like, oh, they're not, they're not hip or trendy or cool. Um, they couldn't possibly be feminist or they, they couldn't possibly be all these things. You kind of get put into this box. And um, like, I've al- always loved, you know, to, to break it down. And my family, they dance too, like at events, you know, we're all going to break out and start, you know, dancing. Um, so uh, that particular year, last year, a lot of people were doing like dance videos and they were like, kind of going viral and they're really cool. And um, I was just like, you know what? Like it just popped into my head. I'm just like, it would be super cool if um, you kind of like, I don't know, just started dancing on the streets of Detroit as like a fat Muslim woman. Like it would be totally cool to see like what people would feel about it. Um, And uh, I kind of put it on Facebook as like, kind of like a gag. I'm just like, who wants to like go out with me, uh, 
like downtown and just like feel me dancing around downtown like <laughs> just hit me up <laughs> and my friend um who's a um her and her husband are a uh, videographer team uh here in detroit and they do an amazing amazing work and they just were like on the status like just let me know when you want to do it and i'm just like okay <laughs> so um it's and and she's she's not Muslim. They're actually Catholic. And it was funny because I told her um, when we were like meeting up about it, um, I was like, you know what? Um, just know that I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this um, because I'm kind of like um, I'm bending the norm. Um, I'm shattering stereotypes of what um, a woman in America is that happens to fit into all my intersectionalities. So just know that, you know, when you post the video or it, it goes somewhere that we might get some trolling from people. So she's like, totally fine with it. I'm like, OK, so we shoot it and it was super hot that day. It was about 90 degrees and um, I had a face full of makeup on. Like I've never <laughs> professed danced, um, other than like tap dance and ballet when I was younger. That was like many, many years ago. So I'm out there sweating bullets. Um, I'm 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 scared because People are like walking down the street. People are like yelling from their cars, like not like bad yelling, but just like, you know, excited. Like, oh, my God, is she a celebrity? Like, oh, my God, who is this person? Or they'll like jump in the, the shot and start dancing with me. And um, yeah, the sweating profusely. And I felt like very self-conscious because I didn't know how I looked because it's the first time, you know, I'm on camera dancing. Um, so the whole goal of the video um, that's entitled hashtag body project is that I want to show people that you can live your best life um, and be unapologetic about it. I feel like nowadays with social media and YouTube and like just mainstream media, it's always like a stipulation to happiness. It's a stipulation to body acceptance and acceptance of yourself. So I just kind of want to shake it up a little bit and tell people like, no, like you don't have to fit into these molds, these boxes to be dot, 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 whatever that is you want to be. And, um, I think, uh, you know, it went semi-viral and, um, I think people enjoyed it and I got lots of trolls, but for the most part, people enjoyed it and got the message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I feel like something uh, sort of a reoccurring theme that I feel from your work is this emphasis on like allowing ourselves to take up space, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I exactly. definitely got that through that. So I want to go back to something that you said um, when you were talking to your videographer friend of, hey, if we do this, you know, when it gets traction, there's going to be haters, there's going to be trolls. I feel like that's the kind of thing that would stop a lot of folks from putting themselves out there. You know, it's interesting that you use the word unapologetic. So I feel like you can't be unapologetic without being unapologetic, right? You have to do it and accept what that comes, what comes with that. And I don't know what my question is necessarily, but how do you sort of weigh that in your mind of, okay, people are going to love this. People are going to hate this. And I'm going to do this anyway. Like, how do you not let that stop you? I guess. Well, I mean, if you live the life like I have with like lots of trauma from family and friends and a divorce and just life trauma and mental illness in general, um, a lot of times we let that stop us. And for many, many years, I allowed other people um, to stop me from saying certain things um, or wearing certain things or going on a trip because or talking to, you know, just talking to some random dude and shooting my shot 
you know, because. And it was always, I lived my life so, I guess, safe and so kind of timid and comfortable, you know? And, but that wasn't really living because I was miserable, you know, trying to make other people um, okay or comfortable with me. And I think at a certain point, especially because I started writing and writing openly and blogging and modeling, and I've met so many people and traveled to so many places that I'm just like, when you come back to your own world, it's just like, this is not what it is. Like, this is, this can't be life. So it's very, it's, it's, it's eye-opening to kind of open yourself up to the world. It's therapeutic, especially as like an artist and a writer and a creative like myself. And unfortunately, once you, the more you climb that ladder, you know, of living in your truths and finding your true self and like what you're meant to do, other people, close people, people you don't know start to feel uncomfortable with it because they wish to also go on that journey and they don't know how or they can't or they're afraid. Um, so as an influencer and someone who, who does the work I do, like I, you have to kind of prepare yourself for that type of resistance because living in your truths makes other people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I've heard it many, many times and I experienced it myself. And I, I just know personally that there is, there, there is no gain without the resistance, just like when you exercise, like you, you're, you're breaking down your muscles, you're tearing down your body to build it back up stronger. Same thing with like, you know, you know, building yourself up and living your truths. Like there will, there'll be people and they're not going to enjoy you and they're going to try their hardest to tear you down. And you have to just accept that and understand that, that it's a part of the journey. Yeah, it's a part of the journey. And like you said, that not doing that, you know, staying so safe and so small, that works until it doesn't. It gets to the point where that is so painful that, you know, you, it's worth the risk. Yeah, but basically. I mean, sometimes I do um, wonder, like, what would, what would happen if I just, like, stopped doing what I'm doing? Um, who would I be? you know, would I still be somebody? Would I turn into somebody else? Like, you know, what would it be like to just not have my life out on the internet? Um, Girl, I think so about I think this about all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think about that a lot, especially now. <clears throat> especially now, I'm just like, hmm, you know, like what, you know, constantly, I guess, reflecting and, and figuring out like who am I really and what's the core of myself and, you know, just that existential crisis, you know, thing we all mm -hmm. go through. Yeah, no, I mean, I think anyone who does anything similar to what you do or to what I do, who's, you know, sort of lived out loud online for, I mean, at this point, it's basically like my entire adult life to not question, Hey, what if I just burned it all down and wasn't on the internet? And, you know, particularly one of the things that I admire about your work is that you're open about uh, mental illness and other things, which is obviously something that's really important to me too. And I think about that, especially when I'm going through periods of depression that I'm just like, is this all worth it? Is it, you know, like it's, it comes and goes in waves. So I totally hear you on that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's something that I think a lot of us, yeah, think about like constantly. Um, but I, I think that the, the following you have and the people that you touch and reach and that I touch and reach, I don't, for some reason, I think that they're not going to let that happen. <laughs> They're going to be like, hey, wait a minute. Like, we built this bond. Like, we built this community. Like, we were with you from day one when you just started. So now, like, hey, where, where do you think you're going? So yeah. I feel like they try to stop me from doing it if I, if I tried. Yeah, no, there's something to be said for a really supportive, loyal community, for sure. <laughs>
Um, so you mentioned your blog, which I would love to talk about. Um, your educational background is writing related, isn't it? If Unless I'm getting that wrong. Um, yeah, I have um, two masters. Well, I have one master in creative writing and the other master's is in publishing. So tell me about the day that you decided to start your blog. What led up to that? When I was uh, younger, of course, I was into fashion. I was into makeup, all these things. And I was really obsessed with, I don't know if you remember the Style Network. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so the Style Network was style all the time, 24-7, right? And I would watch that. I was homeschooled. So, like, after, like, homeschooling would be done and I'd be done with my homework, I'd go and turn on Style Network. And I would obsessively just watch thin, usually white models um, walk up and down the runway or I'd watch like fashionable, like, you know, white women go shopping um, on Rodeo Drive or, um, you know, live this fabulous life, you know. And, you know, I was, again, like poor girl in Detroit, my mom, single, you know, single mom, lots of siblings. And um, I, I internalized that. And I thought, like, if I was a white woman or if I was thin and I was tall, like, I could also live a life that was away from my own. So um, I had a lot of identity issues, um, which turned into, like, self-hatred of my, you know, my brown skin and hatred of, like, my culture. Like, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, hatred of my, my, my fat body. Um, so then the eating disorder started. Um, because I, I was trying to emulate what I saw on the runway and emulate what I saw um, in these fancy magazines and, you know, the Britney Spears and the Gwen Stefani's and, you know, the Paris Hilton's. Like, I, I thought that looking like that would bring me some type of um, some type of like security um, and happiness. So for many, many years, I tried to attain that and just basically basically destroying myself, you know, to attain something that I could never attain um, that's why representation, accurate representation in the beauty industry and in the media is so important. And I can't not stress that enough that it's mm-hmm. so important for young girls, boys out there who are looking at the media and, and trying to emulate this and hurting themselves both mentally and physically to attain something that is not attainable. Um, so just growing up with that and then into my um, early 20s, still had body issues trying the fad diets, um, you know, trying doing the, like, I'm eating one meal a day, or I'm going to only eat this type of food. And I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to exercise. So, um, and then my weight ballooned up and down, up and down. And, um, one day I was just like outside doing something. And, uh, someone was like, Oh my God, are you like a model? I'm just like, what? (laughs) They're like, "Are, are you like a model? Are you like in the fashion industry? I'm just like, no, <laughs> like I'm just a normal person. And uh, I thought that they were lying. So over the years, I would always get, oh, you're so photogenic or, oh, are you a model or, oh, are you in the fashion industry? And I'd be like, why do people keep like saying that? That's like, that's crazy. I don't, I don't fit into that mold at all. I, what, like what? Like, it's just crazy. So um, I, in 2013, I was in my master's program and I ended up hurting my knee at work. Um, so I just woke up one day and I had just started Instagram and, um, I figured out the hashtag plus size model and there I found proper representation of what a plus size woman looks like killing the game. Like, I mean, I saw like people with big boobs and big legs and stomachs and 
faces, like face beat, like hair done, like they were traveling, they were blogging, they were living their best life. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is what I needed when I was younger. Like, uh, this is crazy. Um, so the next day I just woke up and the name Beauty and the Muse just popped into my head for absolutely no reason. And at that moment, I was like, I'm going to start a blog. I have no idea what it's going to entail. I don't have a camera. I don't have the credentials to do this, but I'm going to start a blog. And, um, that's, you know, that's where it all started from. Oh, that's such a good story. I I love that. I'm just going to do this and see and figure it out as I go along, because this is important. I love that. Yeah, it was cool. I've heard you say, or maybe you, you wrote it somewhere on your blog that your goal is to do the best you can to continue to show beauty where the media tries to hide it. And I love that sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have so many questions of the things that you have written about on your blog. Obviously you've covered a ton of different topics. What's been most freeing for you to write about? Um, I think the most freeing thing for me to write about was, um, so I, um, was blogging and I was still married, um, during the time. And I couldn't really blog about what I actually wanted to blog about because I was married to, um, a man who was very um, insecure um, and uh, he was very insecure about my abilities, which caused me to kind of, you know, dim my abilities and to make him feel more comfortable about um, his position, I guess, in my life and as a husband. And um, of course, like, you don't know this when you're married. You're just like, well, I'm, you know, I'm married to this person and I'm going to try to do the best I can to make this work instead of I want to do the best that I can to make me happy. um, And he should understand that uh, because he would want me to be happy, too. Um, So for a couple, you know, for many years when I was blogging, I was just like blogging about fashion. I was blogging about style because that was safe for me to talk about. Um, when I really want to talk about so many other, so many other topics, but I didn't have the courage to do that because I didn't want to embarrass him. Um, and also I didn't want to embarrass myself because these topics were very, very, um, risque topics to talk about as a, as a Muslim woman, as, as a black woman, as a fat woman. Um, so once I got divorced, um, I had to keep it quiet until it was, um, finalized because I didn't want, um, I just didn't want people to be involved in it, you know, while I was going through the basically a grieving process. And um, it really hurt my feelings to um, just just the whole like divorce process was like really, really messy and depressing. And I was going through my own mental things at the same time, having to appear to be okay online. Um, So once I got divorced and it was finalized, I made a post and I told people, and I think like, I'm just going to paraphrase it because I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was just like, um, here, like I'm, I'm rebranding my entire blog and I'm rebranding my entire like life at this point. And it's about to be some real shit. So I'm going to talk about all the things that I was never allowed to talk about or would never allow myself to talk about. And, um, it's going to get real. So if you guys want to see that and be involved in that journey, then, you know, climb on board. And if you, you know, want to see the fake Leah V who talks about fashion and style and what blogger she's meeting up with and, you know, what fashion shows going on, then you, then, you know, you might, you might as well leave now because that's not me anymore. Um, so 
being able to talk about my divorce, um, just the cliches and the stereotypes that are attached to that, how people shame the women instead of shaming the men. Um, that's been pretty freeing being able to express like, because I'm not perfect, being able to express my sadness or my brokenness or my struggles in this industry or in my personal life have been really freeing and therapeutic for me to talk about because I wasn't able to talk about it before. Yeah, I think it's funny in our community, the uh, my Patreon community, um, we often sort of brainstorm about what topics people want to hear more about and what topics they wish people were more open and honest about. And divorce has come up a couple of times, especially relatively young divorce, like people that are getting divorced in their 20s and 30s, that there seems to be it's something that people aren't really talking about. And so that was one of the things that really drew me to your work is not just that you were willing to talk about what happened, but that you were willing to talk about sort of going through and moving past the shame and stigma that seems to be associated with it. And um, yeah, that's, I, I think it's so important to be open about. Yeah. Cause I, I got married at like um, 1920. So I got married fairly young and um, I got divorced at 29 so um, it, it's very, yeah, I, I don't think it's ta- it's talked about that much um, from my own experience. I know it happens a lot, but it's not really talked about. So I can see why people would like want to kind of see um, what's out there as far as like content and other people and reaching out and support groups. And me personally, like I know for a fact that there's not a lot of support groups for people, especially um, women um, who are grieving from divorce and especially because a lot of them are super messy. Um, and it's like, it, it's definitely, it's like, okay, you're, you feel like you, you're losing something, especially if the, the man or woman cheated, you know, it's that type of betrayal and distrust that's going on. Um, and then like breaking apart from someone that you've been with for almost a decade, you know, that's going on. And then the, um, you're going through all types of um, self-esteem issues because now you're thinking about, okay, what do I have? What do, what do I not have that the other girl has? And what could I have done differently to save this? And then just the separation part where financially you have to now, you know, deal with bills a hundred percent, you know, instead of like the half, half or whatever the, the financial situation was going on um, insurance and all that stuff is like, it's a lot of stuff. And people don't really look into that. They don't talk about that, the the details of, you know, and the after effects of the divorce process, especially for like for for younger people. So I definitely agree. It needs to be talked about a lot more. Mm -hmm. Can you share some of the things that helped you to get through the sort of, I guess, most acute, like worst of that time? Was there anything that was helpful for you? Um, yeah, it's a, a couple things helped me actually. Um, when I was going through it, um, I didn't even want to be home when he was there because we were living together, um, during the last three months of our proceedings because like I had nowhere to go. And, um, so I was actually living with him, like, but separated for the last three months. And then it got really, uh, emotionally abusive, um, he got really emotionally abusive towards me and um, like I was just, I was kind of withering away. So luckily like he was working steel and basically I'd, you know, rely heavily on friends to just go seek refuge at their homes um, to get away from the emotional abuse. And I would just like stay there until he fell asleep. So I had a really good 
friend support system that I can, you know, go and, you know, lay low or watch a movie or just like vent to them. And that helped tremendously because if I didn't have anywhere to go and had to like, you know, stay at home with him, like, I I don't know what would have happened. So I'm I'm happy to have a strong um, support system where I can just kind of, you know, run away or go hang out with them and get my mind off things, even for a second um, to get some type of relief. Um, Also, I had, um, after the, the after, um, I had like a really strong online community that also shared stories of, you know, getting divorced after two years or 20 plus years. And we all kind of like shared our stories and I provided, you know, a platform for my followers, um, to come and just share their stories about divorce and moving on or not moving on, um, whatever the case may be. And that helped to seeing that other people went through the same thing and that I wasn't alone in this process and that it is going to take some time. Um, it's not something you just bounce back from and that, you know, the support is there and that I'm stronger than what I think I am and that we are stronger than what we think we are. Um, so that helped a lot. Um, people took me out for food. They took me out to lunch and teas and hookahs and dinners. Like people really like took care of me during, during that process. And I'm so very grateful for that. Um, also just me writing it out, um, me keeping busy, like, um, modeling. I still model during the time I did like video projects, um, art projects. And that really helped as well. Just keeping my mind like, you know, just busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of what you're saying helped you. I mean, obviously the support of friends and stuff, but it's hearing other people that were willing to say, you're not alone. A version of this happened to me. And I feel like so much of what contributes to shame, not just necessarily with divorce, but with anything is sort of that feeling of being alone. I, you know, something must be wrong with me. If I would have done X, Y, or Z differently, this wouldn't have happened. I can't talk about this. Like I'm broken. And I think just hearing other people be like, no, I've been through that. I've been through that. That can be incredibly healing. Yeah, for sure. Like, and I'm all about storytelling. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I do believe there's healing through the art of storytelling. Um, because with great pain comes great stories, but also with these great stories and these great pains and these traumas, beauty is in it somewhere, you know, you just have to search, search in there and, and kind of dig it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that goes back to even what we were talking about before in sort of a fashion or modeling context, this idea of like showing beauty where the media tries to hide it. That doesn't just apply to maybe in physical ways, but also some of the stuff that you're talking about, too. Right. Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about, especially since you were in that relationship, you said you got married relatively young and then, you know, we're with that person for quite a while. What's it been like dating after a divorce? Like after having been in a relationship for so long, I'm so curious what that's been like for you. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- yeah. So about that. Um, so basically I feel like, and like I- I've, I've, shared notes with other people who've been through the same process. And I don't know if it's the same for men. It might be, but for me personally, and and I've other people have said the same thing. When you get divorced from someone, you are literally scrambling for someone to fill that void. And, and this is super embarrassing, but to even say, but I've, I've told people before um, in presentations when they've asked about this, but you are scrambling for anyone to fill their void. And this anyone usually is the most like the person you probably would never, ever talk to, 
person that you probably don't need in your life. Uh, the person who just is there as a as a body um, to feel something that will not be filled by them. So I was pretty, pretty messy after I got divorced, like immediately started getting really super messy. And I would just be like dating around and just like these people who are just like only wanted like me physically. Um, and I objectified myself in the process of trying to fill a void. Um, just talking to people that were not good people. And, um, other women have said they did the same thing. And once you like are in that situation where it's just like, okay, there's a body there and yeah, like I'm trying to fill a void. But after the fact, after, um, the fact you feel very, you feel more empty than you did before. Yep. Um, because that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be trying to get yourself together. You're supposed to be healing. And now looking from the other side, I had to go through that process of being a messy 30 year old woman, um, trying to play the role of some 19 year old girl who's just free (laughs) and, you know, out in the streets and at every party, um, ever just like out four o'clock in the morning, randomly just at a party at a bar just whatever. And um, I had to go through that to see that that's not my life. That's not what I want for myself. And the people that I was dealing with are not good people or not good quality people. And then I'm, I'm trying to feel something um, and it's not going to be ever filled by, by that. So now dating, I'm very, um, I kind of like kind of weaned off of dating actually. Um, I don't know the, where I'm from, the quality of guys here are a little bit not so good for me personally. Uh, I feel like a lot of them are intimidated by me because I'm like highly educated and I uh, blog and model. Like one guy told me on his dating app, he's like, oh, wow, you model. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, oh, that's so intimidating. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> so I've gotten that a couple of times. Um, so I kind of like put a halt on the whole dating thing because it, was, it started to drain me um, mentally. Um, but dating now is so much different because, you know, I was married for like a decade so it's, it, it's not the same as it was, you know, 10 years ago. So it's very interesting. People see you as, I guess, um, temporary. Um, people don't really, not everyone, but I feel like a lot of people just see you as like a temporary thing or um, like a fling. And it's like, okay, well, I'm like grown. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like something more deeper. Um, so I don't know. Dating is very, very weird after a divorce. I think dating just weird in general. <laughs> Yeah, I are you how old are you now? Oh well, I, I just turned thirty. You just turned thirty. Okay, so I'm thirty two. So we're right like right in the same age range. I feel like uh, somehow I missed the because of just being in sort of relationships for a while, I missed the dating app thing. Like I've never used a dating app. I never did online dating. And I think about that often that I'm like, I would literally have no idea what to do. Like I don't know how to <laughs> That's kind of why I asked the question. Cause like I can imagine that it's like you you just sort of wake up into this world of like Oh shit, like how do I do this? <laughs> exactly. You're just like, okay, wow. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like yeah. I'm in the line. Again. Yeah, I also, I mean, what you were sharing about, you know, going after, you know, potentially the wrong people and being self-destructive about it just to fill a void. That's it's so real. I I mean, I can't relate to the divorce piece of it, but that reminds me so much of how I felt around the time that I was trying to quit drinking. It's like this thing that you think is gonna fix things or fill a void, whether it's, you know, having sex with the wrong person or, you know, drinking this too much in this situation. It's like you always feel worse afterwards and you have to get to the point where you're, I guess, like sick of yourself, like 
sick of like doing the things that make you feel shitty to then, I don't know, be able to be like, okay, let me try something different maybe. But yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely me. I'm just like, okay, I don't feel okay doing this. And it's funny because my friends, they were like, and and they were they were treading very lightly um, because I was very manic and I was crazy and um, like literally and they were just like well you know you could do that or maybe not so I'm like I'm gonna do what I want to do because I'm grown <laughs> and then so they were like okay and it's funny because like right after like you know I was being super messy and I kind of just like plummeted like all the way like down into the dirt they were just like I'm just like call them crying like I objectified myself that's not what I write about and I'm a fraud and they're like it's okay it's okay it's okay you had to go through it so it was really funny like how they um were like you know there but then when I just like totally like self-destructed they were also there too so <laughs> they gave me the space to figure out stuff you know yeah. that was that was yeah, I mean, nothing feels worse than sort of violating your own values. And I've been there too. So, yeah. Yeah. God. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, you have a memoir coming out, right? Um, I wrote the memoir. We are currently shopping it around to publishers. Okay. Can you tell me more about the book? What sort of what it's what it's about and what maybe you're most excited about for when it does come out? Um, yeah. So, I uh I've always been a fiction writer. Um, so uh, people were like, oh, your, your life is kind of cool. You should write about that. I'm just like, no, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. It's too much. And they're just like, okay. So one day um, after my divorce, I, apply, I started writing essays about just like stories um, about my life growing up. Um, so like being fat shamed by my father, um, how like kind of evil he was to me growing up. And um, my mom's mental illness, I wrote a lot about that. And just like, you know, growing up in a fat body, having to wear like boys clothes because I couldn't fit like girls clothes and being mistaken for a boy, which hurt my feelings as like a little girl. And um, I started out with stories like those. And then um, it was, I think, like maybe three months after my divorce had been finalized. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write a bunch of essays about my life from growing up in Detroit to now. Um, so I don't know, I just for three months just wrote, just poured everything out and I cried a lot because like having to remember traumatic experiences, it hurts your feelings. So I cried a lot at the, at the, at the kitchen table and I wrote and I typed. And um, by the time I was done, three months was over, I had like 100,000 words written out. Um, so... Uh, of course, I didn't have money because artists never have money. And I put my book away and I was like, OK, I need to find a job because, you know, I got no alimony. I don't I don't have any type of income and, you know, I have to pay rent. So um, for months, I was just looking for a job. Um, I had ended up winning winning the Gilda Award. gave me a little bit of money to kind of book to an agent. So um, with the grant money, I, you know, um, supported myself and looked for an agent and um immediately agents started like responding back immediately. It was like, I want to re represent you in your book. And it was a hard decision. Um, but I finally um, found one, but the, the book is, ba is basically just, just full of essays about um, me randomly going to Paris and shooting with the world renowned photographer, Velvet D'Amour and um, how the Parisians were just like 
thinking they thought I was like an American celebrity. So they were like yelling and like whistling and just like cheering me on during my shoot. And uh, I talked, I talk about that. I talk about like me growing up, um, me being estranged from my father, uh, my mother's mental illness, my own mental illness. Um, I talk a lot about like um, racism that I've experienced um, uh, in college and uh, body stuff and funny things and my divorce, of course, uh, and some of my random rendezvous. So yeah, it's, it's, it's basically stories about me and what makes me, you know, what makes Leah V, Leah V, basically. Mm, I, I, selfishly, I can't wait. I'm so excited to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if we can find a publisher, that'll be amazing. <laughs> I have no doubt that you will. That's, yeah, okay. Well, I, I will watch for news of that because I will be the first one to pre-order your book. Um, <laughs> you mentioned um, money before and, you know, being yeah. an artist. And I, that's one of the things that I am constantly wishing people were more open and honest about, especially I'm interested in, and I know obviously there's, it's not the same for everyone, but sort of like the financial side of blogging or being popular on social media, because I feel like there's often a, like a myth or a misconception that, oh, this person has, you know, X large number of followers. So therefore that must mean, you know, that they're really wealthy or that they're this or that they're that. And I guess for some folks that's true, but I think for most people it's not, um, I don't know. So I, I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit of um, sort of how, because uh, you've obviously had you know a lot of success in the in social media, in blogging, in modeling, and these types of things. How does that or does it not translate to money? Yeah, um, I constantly have to talk about this because people think that I am rolling in the dough, <laughs> and I am definitely not, um, like in the least bit. Um, so just like you said, social media followers does not equate to, to cash, to, to income. It does not. Um, there are many, many bloggers and I know a ton of bloggers, um, in Australia, Chicago, Atlanta, Detroit, New York, everywhere. And a lot of them actually have full-time jobs. Um, many influencers have full-time jobs, um, and artists, um, they have, their you know their gig and they they kind of blog on the side it looks like they full-time blog but they have a full-time job that pays the bills um the blogging world is being a social media influencer is a really weird thing right now um because companies are kind of like commercializing everything so um if you are a blogger like me like i like i i like the word blogger but i like I'm a writer first and foremost, and then, you know, and I'm an artist. And uh, sometimes when you say you're a blogger, especially like a fashion or style or beauty blogger, then it gets very, very commercial. And like, I, I'm quite sure you've seen like your favorite bloggers um, selling this or selling this, or selling that, or like advertising that, or, you know, this thing. And I try to stay away from that um, because I am a creative and I want my platform to maintain its integrity um, I don't want to sell you things that I wouldn't personally buy. I don't want to necessarily sell you things because someone sent it to me. You know what I mean? Or someone's paying me to do it, yep. which is which is really fucking me up because I, now I'm losing out on money. So I am in a weird place right now where it's like, do I kind of sell out and become that blogger who sells you this and sells you that, you know, flat tummy tees and teeth whitening kits and, you know, uh, those weight loss wraps. Like, do I sell out to make money and pay my bills next month? Or do I just 
stay on the organic route and hope that my community uplifts me or, or hope that something happens where I can still be organic and still be helpful and still build a, a real humanistic um, online community and still bring an income out. At this point in time, I don't make a penny from blogging, like zero dollars. Um, on, on my blog and also on my Instagram, I don't really make any money. Um, I have companies that send me clothes, um, which, you know, I need clothes to model and have content, right? So I do have clothes and I will tag them. Um, I'm working now on getting sponsored posts that are like maybe like things that I would wear or buy a couple of those. But as far as like she raking in big bucks, because I've turned down so many offers, I'm not really making anything from that. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. So it's just like people don't understand that. I try to explain that to them. Um, and I've been featured in Huffington Post and Marie Claire and Elle magazine. I've had all these features and, and I am, I guess, popping on the Internet, but it's not equating to money right now. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm so, so glad that you're willing to be honest about that, because I think that what you're saying is the norm more often than people would think. And it's like that question of do I if I if I, you know, because what am I trying to say? It's great to have followers and likes and appreciation and, you know, like to engage with people. But that doesn't pay your bills. Right. Like that's real. <laughs> Capitalism is real. We need money. And so yeah. the money has to come from somewhere. And this is the type of stuff. Um, I mean, we, I talk about this on the show all the time, but that people aren't willing to talk about. Like I can relate so much to the struggle that you were saying about, you know, do I accept this like sponsorship money and sort of sell out or try to have it be community-based, that was the same decision for me if, in having a listener-funded podcast. And the only reason that I was able to go that route and not do sponsorship is because my partner makes more money than I do, and I had the time to be able to let that grow. And like, that's real. Money has to come from somewhere. And like, I don't know. I just, I think that just being willing to talk about it and say, hey, like, you see this, but also, and it's great to like something, but if you really like something, pay for it, right? <laughs> like, help people yeah. out. That is true. Like I've had a couple campaigns where I've like maxed out credit cards. Like my followers have came through and sent me like PayPal or Venmo money. So that's like how I got through November and December. Um, and they like paid like my bills and stuff like that. So just like through like, just like crowdfunding, but it's like, you know, one it helps, but at the same time, you need continuous like monthly support. Like you can't like, you know, the one time thing is great and I'm appreciative of it, but it's just like I and then and then you get kind of angry that people aren't willing to pay for your work and you give quality work and you help people. And it's just like, are you being selfish because you're angry now because you've done all this stuff and no one's paying you? So it's definitely it's a mental thing. Um, and it's just like, OK, well, I feel like people should pay me for my from for my art and for my work. And they don't, <laughs> but they still reap the benefits of it. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Especially because it's like, you obviously care about what you do and it's purpose driven and you, you love it, which I can relate to. And so there's that idea, well, if I love this, like then, you know, do I, is that enough? Do I need to make money? There's so many questions that go on of like, is there something wrong with me wanting to get paid for this? Especially in a culture where, we expect quality content for free. You know, we're so used to listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, following someone's work on Instagram like yours and getting so much out of it and having that just all be free that there's like a shift that needs to happen. I think of, I mean, and I think Patreon's a great platform for that. And you have Patreon, right? I do. Um, fortunately, it's not really going that well because people don't want, they rather pay 
once they, they're the pay like once then continuously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, and it's, it's funny maybe because I'm a Patreon creator and user. I'm as soon as I see that someone I love, like you has it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sign up, going to support them. Right. Like going to try to do what I can, but I, that it is an obstacle that like you said, like a lot of folks don't want to do that. Yeah. So it's like, okay. I mean, if I ask for like a one-time donation, I'm quite sure people would do it. Mm-hmm. But like the Patreon thing, it's, it's a little bit more tough. Okay. Well, I'm going to put a link to your Patreon in the show notes anyway. So people, <laughs> people support her work. She's amazing. Um, so being an influencer, being a role model, having, um, you know, a large audience, how do you engage in that way without getting sucked into sort of the addictive pull of external validation. Like I always wonder, you know, how people that have a lot of followers that that love their work, how they handle it when those people, if they want something from you, if they want advice, if they like, how do you sort of draw boundaries around social media? Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, I am the kind of person that, um, wants to, um, engage with my followers because this is like a open space platform. Like I don't want them to see me as like this deity that's like above everyone else. I want them to see me as a peer, um, someone who, you know, through my life and experiences and trauma and accomplishments, like we can relate on some level and connect because I feel like that's what's, that's what's missing on social media is the ability to connect with real people um, who do amazing things or who do cool things. Um, and I, this little backstory, um, there's, there was a blogger that I really admired in the city, um, in the city of Detroit where, which is where I live. And, um, they were on a panel discussion and she was talking about like the power of like, you know, connecting to people and, you know, just being personable and, you know, being there for people and just all that stuff. So like, I really admired her for saying that. So I wanted to talk to her like after, you know, the, the panel was over and um, she, um, I, you know, I waited my turn. And when I got up there to speak, she was very huffy and puffy and like she didn't want to kind of talk to the people who were waiting for her. And I'm just like, wow. So this is what influencers do when they have a little following. They treat people like, you know, shit or they treat people like they're above somebody or that they don't have time to talk to you when these people just came and came to support you. So I never wanted to be that kind of blogger who was huffing and puffing. And when, when people are asking questions or, or wanted to know something or, or wanted to get clarity on something you said. Um, so I actually answer all of my direct messages. I know a lot of bloggers don't. Um, I try to keep it short though and uh, make sure they're not creeps. Cause there are some people who are super creepy and um, I don't answer those ones. Um, I've been solicited for all types of stuff and sent all kinds of things. Um, if I don't feel comfortable, like I will decline and block because I don't need that in my life. Um, so, but if it's like anyone else who's asking, I've been asked questions about divorce, about like mental illness, uh, eating disorders, all types of stuff. Um, and I answer them all. Um, I do keep it short though. Like I'm not going to go, we're not going to have like a full hour conversation, but I will answer your question. And then like, you know, uh, politely, you know, say, okay, thank you for messaging me. Have a nice day. Um, so you have to definitely have your boundaries with people because people sometimes with, um, social media, they think that they know you. Um, and if they know you, that means that you you guys are friends, right? 
Um, and I don't like telling people like, okay, well, you're an internet person. We're not friends because I, I think that friends is, has a deeper meaning. Like just because you follow someone doesn't mean you're their friend. Um, so I think people think that sometimes with me, like, oh, I know her whole life. And so like, we're friends. And I'm just like, no, not necessarily. It takes a lot more than just like a, a you know, a direct message to, 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 you know, have a friendship with someone. So it's just like, I have my boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that's, that's so true of, especially when you share a lot of yourself and the fact that people feel like they really connect with you, that's incredible. I mean, it means like you're making people feel less alone and achieving, I'm sure a lot of what is important to you. And also that it's, it's kind of a one way relationship. It doesn't mean that you're friends just because someone can resonate with what you've shared. Yeah, basically. Um, so I want to be respectful of your time. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but, um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that's really on your mind that you would love to share? Hmm. Well, let me see. Well, yeah, I think we can, I can probably, um, talk about the, like, just cause a lot of people ask me about like how I got to where I am right now. And, um, and I give them the answer and they never are satisfied with it. <laughs> they're, they're never satisfied with the answer about how to, I guess, do what I've done. Um, and I tell people all the time, a couple things that you have to stay in your own lane. Um, oftentimes, um, people want to swerve into your lane when we all have our, you know, God given or whatever you believe in path, you know, universal paths of where we want to get to in life um, and in our journey. And people feel like they can block your blessing or block your skill set or dim your light. And I tell people all the time, if you worried about yourself as much as you worried about the person next to you doing something similar, you'd be in a way better position, better position. Like I've had many a bloggers try to swerve in my lane or artists who try to you know, swerve my lane and take ideas or um, take concepts that I've done and not give me proper credit for it. And you're you're doing yourself an injustice. You you really are. Um, and we are inspired by each other. But some people like blatantly and, and you, you know what I mean? Some people blatantly will take your stuff and be like, it's mine. <laughs> OK, so it and I just want to let people know, like, don't serve in someone else's lane. Don't look at the competition because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Everyone has their own unique path um, and you need to stay in your lane and worry about you. And secondly, is that you have to be persistent. Um, You have to be persistent and you have to be willing to do things that no one else is going to do. I'm not saying to like take like, you know, a job that, you know, you're not going to get or a volunteer position or a collaboration that, you know, you're not going to get anything from. But you have to learn from something and you have to learn from somewhere and from somebody. And people feel like they can just like hop on the scene and be like, I have these things. No, you have to cultivate those things. You have to grow those things. You have to plant the seed. Um, And people just think they can get things quickly because social media makes it. It it looks like people are getting things quickly. If you look at a blogger or you look at an actress or a model that's top, Best believe she has a story about where she started from and what she or he or she has been through to get to where they are now. Mm-hmm. And it like, didn't start yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like Rome wasn't built in a day. Oprah wasn't built in a day. Like, you know, my social media platform definitely was not built in a day. And, and still, even I'm on a small scale, like compared to other people. 
So it's just like you need to be persistent. Know that everything is not going to go your way. Um, everything is not going to go as planned. And you need to be very fluid and roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really, pa- if you really are passionate about something and you believe in that something, don't ever, ever stop. And don't ever, ever let anyone tell you that you can't. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's such good advice. Um, so the way that we end these episodes are with a series of um, what we call community questions. So basically questions that people in my Patreon community have put forth that all eight guests of this season will answer the same seven like rapid fire questions if you're down to answer some random questions. <laughs> okay. I'm scared. No, I promise. This is not a, it's not like a quiz. Um, okay. If you had a completely free afternoon next week all to yourself, no one needed anything from you, how would you most love to spend it? Um, I'd like to spend it on a beach, like getting a tan. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I would like to come. Um, What feels most important to you this year? Happiness. What's one place in your town that you'd really recommend people check out if they travel there? A favorite coffee shop, bookstore, park, anything? I'd recommend the Detroit Institute of Arts. It's very magical. Oh, okay. I'm try- As you're saying that, I'm like, have I ever been to Detroit? I don't think that I have, but I can add that to my list. <laughs> um, what's working really well in your life right now? Something that feels like it's easy and vibrant and flowing. I think what's working really well right now is my ability to go to the gym uh, even when I'm very tired and don't want to because it makes me feel really, really good. So I'm, I'm pretty good on like, um, getting the physical health down, hmm. physical health down. Good for you. What's one decision in your past that if you had chosen differently, you feel like would have led you down an entirely different path in your life? Something where you're like, oh, if I would have made a right turn here instead of a left, it would have been really different. I think the one was I had an interview at um, in Chicago for this job um, management position on the railroad. And I think if I would have took it, it would have took me like a totally different direction than I am now. I probably would be like in a management position somewhere in Chicago. Isn't it funny to think about those things? Like the life <laughs> not lived. Yeah. Exactly. So the next question is about books, which, um, let's say two to three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Um, so I love all books (laughs) and, um, from like young adult fiction to like, uh, memoir. Um, right now I'm reading, um, I think it's J.R. Tolkien, um, Wow, I can't remember the name. Uh, I watch Game of Thrones. (laughs) I'm reading Game of Thrones because my friend is like, read it. So um, I really like that one. It's uh, pretty cool. And the one that I that kind of put me onto my path is um, J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter series like that forever changed my life. Just knowing her story and her struggle about being a writer and like how just at the nick of time, like she just got that one yes and became like this huge success. So, um, and right now I'm reading Hunger too. Um, that's a really good memoir about um, the life of a fat woman. So uh, those are the three I would suggest reading. I love it. Um, yeah, Hunger was one of the most powerful books I read last year. I've been recommending that to everyone. Yeah. Um, the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? The small action that I would um, say would be to um, promote inclusion. So by 
by that is make sure that you are not muffling underrepresented voices and you are boosting them and becoming an ally. Mm, I love that. So what's the best place for people to find you, to support your work, to say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Um, well, I have my blog um, at uh, basically www.beautyandamuse.net, uh, which I post. And I also am on um, Snapchat, which is Leah V. Daily. If you want to see some, you know, weird stuff, uh, my everyday life stuff. And then um, on Instagram, it's at LVernon2000. I'm usually on there doing like random lives and um, I update that daily. So um, you can connect with me through any of those channels if you'd like. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. You're one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. I'm so glad I found you and I am grateful um, for this conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Callie. Hi, Callie. Hi, Nicole. You ready to answer some uh, fun rapid-fire questions? I'm ready. Let's do it. I guess we'll see if they're fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My favorite question, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Oh, man. Well, as I told you earlier, I've been in bed with the flu for the past seven days, so I've had lots of uh, reading and Netflix time, (laughs) so I guess that's good. And I've been reading a lot of stuff about um, Everest climbing. I think it's really really fascinating and I just read uh into thin air I don't know if you ever read that but it's about the 96 Everest disaster where I think 12 climbers died and uh, I just I've always found climbing like why people climb and take such risks a really interesting question um yeah yeah, I have read that book. It was, I mean, oh, yeah, really so gripping good. and also like horrifying, of course. Yeah. Absolutely horrifying. Um, but yeah, really interesting stuff. Yeah, he's so. a great writer. He's so good. He's so good. What's one thing that you feel like you're seriously kicking ass at so far in 2018? Oh, man. That's kind of a rough one. Um, well, I would say law school. I'm a third-year law student, and I'm graduating in May and then taking the bar exam in July. So at this time, I feel like I've gotten the, the academic game down pretty well. <laughs> so I've gotten that figured out. And yeah, classes are pretty easy at this point, just kind of going through the motions. Good for you. Third year. That's incredible. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. I'm very excited. Yeah, I- I'm sure come come August, you'll be even more excited. <laughs> <laughs> After the bar, it'll be even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? I usually have uh, like a matcha latte and then I love making like a breakfast burrito with eggs and bacon. I eat a lot of bacon. It's terrible, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and cheese. And that's probably my absolute favorite. <laughs> Who do you need to write a thank you note to this week? If you could give like a gratitude shout out to someone, who would it be? Oh my gosh, my two friends, 
here at school, uh, Caitlin and Emily, I don't have any family here in Sacramento. So when you're super sick, um, can kind of be hard. Like you don't have anyone to go pick up prescriptions for you or take you to the doctor. Um, but I had two girlfriends here that have made me dinner and like brought me chicken soup and you know, picked up assignments for me. So definitely shout out to to good girlfriends. Yes. Shout out to good girlfriends. I love that. So good. Um, the last question, what's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Hmm. Uh, this is a great question. Um, lately I think I've been doing a lot of thought, um, with the me too movement and all the articles that, keep coming out about women's personal experiences, but I also would really love to see more men start grappling with these questions about, you know, what's acceptable and not acceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, and I think a lot of women are finally taking up space in that conversation and bringing these conversations to the forefold, but men aren't having these conversations and listening as much as I think they should be. Mm-hmm. So it would be great if more men started engaging in a debate, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. So you're a member of our Patreon community, the Patreon Support Squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you've made a small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show. Oh, well, I actually stopped drinking about 18 months ago. And I know, thank you. It's been amazing. And I know I've listened to all of your podcasts and uh, listening to you talk about that has been wonderful. But um, so as you know, it's hard. I stopped drinking when I was 27. And um, I, you know, I kind of stripped away a lot of uh, relationships that were involved in that aspect as well. And it can kind of leave you not having a huge support system at the beginning of that. And so I found Home Podcast and Laura McCowan and Holly Whitaker's work really changed my life. And I listened to all those episodes and then I found your podcast. So I kind of had like a sober community support system through your work and through their work, which introduced me to the work of other people. And um, so it's just wonderful to give back to you guys because your work contributed so much to my life the past 18 months and I don't want it to stop. So fully selfish reasons. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love, um, first of all, I mean, thank you. I'm grateful for that. And I love hearing that other, um, sober people can, you know, that like either find me through them or find them through me. Okay. Cause they've obviously both been on the show and I'm like yeah. next level obsessed with both of them. And so I know, like, same. <laughs> oh, they're, they're amazing. You guys are all amazing. Um, but yeah, it's just great to, to hear your, it can, you know, it's, it can be hard to find, um, those relationships in your day-to-day life, but finding them in an online community or through podcasts is really important too. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll seriously be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 